Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In my house doing this podcast today um, is my friend who's been my friend for about five years, Justin Trosdahl. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Will you tell our listeners how to say and spell your last name? Sure thing. It's Trosdahl, T-R-A-A-S-D-A-H-L. And um, I'm going to try to say his name right the whole time. Um, Justin is somebody I met um, probably four years ago on his round age 30 when he came out as gay and someone shared that Facebook post and I was trying to listen to stories. And since that time, Justin and I have crossed paths and I um, encouraged him if he'd be willing to share his story on the podcast. And um, I'm going to read the very last part of his outline Um, I hope stories like mine change hearts and trajectories. The past four years have been the most fulfilling in my entire life. Sadly, I look back at the first 30 years with some disappointment. I just wish I knew better. But now, listeners, you know better. You Please don't fall for the same trap I did. Please. And I usually don't read the end of the podcast is an introduction to the podcast, but I thought that was really well written by Justin. Justin is going to share his story growing up in Arizona and becoming aware of being gay and opening up to his parents who are good friends, Sandy and Glenn, and um, then having a long road with conversion therapy. And that is going to be painful to hear. Um, and I admire Justin willing to talk about that because I would assume there's tons of trauma. And some of you that have had gone through conversion therapy know that road firsthand. But one of the gifts Justin is giving to all of you, um, especially those that are younger and new on this road, is hopefully avoiding conversion therapy and won't have to go through the trauma that Justin has gone through. Justin served a mission in Kiev, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. Ukraine. Um, and obviously has a soft spot for the realities of what's going in that beautiful part of the world. Um, then Justin will share his story coming back from his mission um, and eventually separating himself from the church because of some difficult experiences. So if you want to listen to a podcast where people aren't sharing difficult experiences about the church, that's kind of a double negative. Don't listen to this podcast because I want to create a space where Justin feels free to share difficult experiences with the church um, just to be able to honor his story. and. Bring validity to a story. I'm supportive of the church, believe in the church, but part of my baptism covenants is mourn, bear, and comfort. And Justin's been walking a pretty difficult road. And I look at my responsibility to bear more and comfort. And part of that is um, bringing his story to listeners so that hopefully when we know better, we do better. So that's my introduction to this podcast. Um, I think our joint prayers that Justin's story will help you if you're new on this journey. A parent who's new raising a queer kiddo, um, a local leader that you won't make some mistakes that I made in this space, um, and so that we just do better. Is that okay for an introduction, Justin? Yeah, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Um, I just want to make sure you don't feel muted, I, you know, and just be honest with your story, even the painful parts. So I'll just let you start. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think today I'm going to be sharing a lot of really hard things. Um, I do want to just start by saying I really did have a great childhood growing up, but today I really want to highlight some of the really hard things so that 
people listening don't have to go through these hard things, hopefully to make it a better journey. So um, as you said, I grew up, um, maybe you didn't say this part, but I grew up in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, I grew up in a typical Mormon household. I went with my parents weekly to church. Um, My parents served in church callings. I also um, served in church callings growing up. Uh, We had family home evening weekly. Um, I like to think I was a pretty good kid, um, probably to a fault, my parents would probably say. Uh, I always wanted to choose the right. I made, sh- uh, made sure to memorize all the scriptures in seminary, um, made sure to just give 100% to the church. Um, I remember by the time I was around nine or 10 years old that um, I had like probably an inkling that I was different. Um, interested probably in other boys, but again, at nine or 10, probably didn't have words for that yet. By the time puberty hit at around uh, 13 or 14, I remember these feelings getting a little bit more intense. Uh, My friends would talk about their crushes on girls, um, but I couldn't relate to that. So I remember this was on a Sunday, I believe. I remember finally disclosing to my mom and dad that I might be gay. Um, I was so worried because I was um, worried that I might go to hell and unsure what I was supposed to do with this. So my parents immediately were like, let's go talk to the bishop about this. So after a few meetings with the bishop, um, he suggested I go to therapy. Um, he told my parents that they, that he knew a therapist who dealt with kids like me. Um, you know, one of these most vivid memories I've had as I've worked through some of this, um, reparative therapy or conversion therapy trauma is just having this memory sitting out by the, by the pool as I tell my parent, you know, talk to my parents about this and they say they're going to take me to this therapist who's going to make things right. And I just resisted this. And, you know, I don't fault my parents. They're just trying to make my life better at this point. And, but something inside me knew this was wrong and knew this wasn't going to be right for me, but, you know, I'm a kid and my parents are thinking that this is going to be right. And, and, this is where my life takes a left turn and we start this path down reparative therapy. Um, So I'm going to use these terms, reparative therapy and conversion therapy interchangeably. Um, A quick Google search will, you know, pull up different things about what conversion therapy or reparative therapy is. Um, I, uh, I guess I just want to, again, emphasize that I was a child and I didn't know any better. Um, I didn't feel like that there were many options for me Um, as a gay and a Mormon kid. I I didn't feel like I could make it into heaven if I was attracted to other boys. And if someone had a magic pill or therapy to make me straight, then why not give it a try? My mom and dad took me to the first few sessions and we were educated by this therapist on why I was gay. And um, I actually brought with me today a binder that uh, 
has all the materials over the um, close to 15 years <laughs> of therapy that I did um, that have all of the resources and materials that I was given from the age of 14 up to um, when I quit going that that I was given. So, okay, I know I've said a lot. I'm curious if do you have any questions up to this point or? Well, I wish everybody could see this binder. It's like three inches thick and there's just, it's a black binder that's got lots of different individual pamphlets and booklets. And, um, and I just recognize the pain of opening that binder, I assume, <laughs> and looking at the content in there that's obviously at a young age, you're filled with hope that of course you'd like to be straight. And you'd be willing to give it a shot to use your language, Justin, and being and make all this work because you have a good heart and you want to do the right thing and people around you want to do the right thing. But I assume this binder, it's interesting you've kept it, represents just, I'm using words here, pain and trauma, just to open it, look at it. Yeah. And, you know, I've kept it um, for the past few years, mostly um to show others that pain and trauma and i think it's part of my story and i just want to thank you for letting me hold this space i think this is um sharing this part of my story is symbolizing some closure for me and i don't think i'm going to hold this um binder for that much longer if <laughs> past today so thank you for letting me share this part of the story so as you look through the binder, I realize our listeners can't just tell us what's in there. Just, you know, what, as you look through that, and maybe this is coming later, but I don't know if you just want to talk about one or two of the things in the binder. Sure thing. So, um, one of them is an X. Okay. I'll just, <laughs> I'll pull out this first page that's sitting right here is uh, literature and resources for SSA. And SSA, you know, at the time was, um, I was told that I wasn't gay, that I was struggling with same-sex attraction. So that was one of the first things that I was educated on is that there was a way out. And there's about 20 different books here. And, you know, some of the titles, Homosexual No More, um, The Truth About Homosexuality. And I'm not encouraging any of our listeners to look at this, but I think, again, this gave me and my parents hope that if there's, you know, 30 books here, there's a way out of this that, that I, can, I can get out of this struggle. And again, I'm a kid. So other things in this binder, it's a lot of my journaling. Um, and then there's an, a small booklet in here that tells me how I became gay or how I struggled with same-sex attraction. So um, one of the little handouts that I was given is um, some of the like predispositions and things that I was lacking in childhood and, and things that I was going to need to work on. And this is where I ended up focusing most of my efforts in my reparative therapy. Um, I was told um, I had these nat uh, natural predispositions. I was too sensitive. I was anxious. I was timid. 
I was too detached from my father. I was estranged from other boys. I felt inadequate amongst other men. And I um, became preoccupied with men. And eventually, through pornography and masturbation, I became gay. The interesting part about all of this is a lot of this wasn't true for me, but it didn't fit the narrative for the therapist. It didn't fit the narrative um, of what needed to happen for this reparative therapy and conversion therapy to work. So we ended up, you know, creating these problems. I didn't view pornography. I didn't have a problem with masturbation. I was close to my father, but this did create issues with my parents, admittedly. I mean, as you can imagine, this immediately I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I guess I am distant from my father. Um, obviously, some of these things, I am a sensitive person, but I ended up spending the next six years before my mission focusing heavily on developing a closer relationship to my father, becoming more masculine. Um, you know, and there are periods of time through high school, you know, I, I think a lot of the listeners who knew me in high school you know, probably saw this straight A student who was just living this normal, fine life. But behind the scenes, it was hell. I was, my parents were signing me up for karate. I was, I was, I, I did volleyball all in the name to turn straight. That's what I was doing this for. It wasn't because I, you know, had a passion to do karate. It was to become straight. And, you know, I've told this story before um, about doing karate and doing volleyball. And sometimes I get laughed at, but I think, you know, and looking back, I think hindsight's 2020, but I, again, I, I trusted my licensed therapist who said, this will work. You have to try hard. And every year I would go back. Well, why isn't it working now? Well, you're not trying hard enough. So. It's a pretty sobering segment. Um, we don't do a lot of podcasts with people that have been walking your road, Justin, um, with conversion therapy. You said something I've never thought of before. Um, and maybe it wasn't lost on listeners either. Um, this created a problem when one didn't exist. All this analyzing of why you're gay and trying to find the problem created problems. You had a great relationship with your dad. You had normal, natural interests that were the way you were wired, but yet you couldn't own your normal, natural interests and, and had to be sort of pigeonholed into things that didn't come. And maybe some of that eventually came natural for you, but just all the narrative around why you were gay just created all these problems that weren't there that just added to the complexity of your road. Yeah. And I've done a lot of grieving and a lot of mourning again of, you know, what this childhood or, you know, could have been had it just been 
accepted had it just been okay you're attracted to other boys let's just <laughs> figure this out and go from here but again it was no how do we turn you straight and now mold you into someone you're never going to become and i i hope just listeners can understand what that does to someone and what it what i've had to work through now trying to undo the damage of yeah trying to mold into something that was never going to work so yeah it was really hard keep sharing your story i think we both know the Brene brown quote belonging doesn't require us to change who we are it requires us to be who we are so you're you're spending all this emotional capital fitting in and people are telling you how to fit in and you're trying to become the square peg to fit into the square hole yeah um and that's just so difficult and damaging in so many levels um so anyway yeah so um so finally by the age of so i guess just to close this out my teenage years i i ended up um just doing this i i did some conversion therapy groups with um other teenagers who were doing this and then finally got to my mission i served my mission in kiev ukraine um i learned ukrainian and served faithfully for two years i was mostly focused on serving the lord and um didn't really deal with the gay thing. <laughs> uh, that's how I like to put it. I was just so focused on my mission. And I look back on my mission just as, you know, I was really close with my companions and we had a good time doing our mission. I wasn't really focused on uh, my sexual attractions. Um, I came home from my mission and immediately knew that i had to get back to the work <laughs> get back to the work of turning straight um i transferred from arizona state to byu why i think the question comes up all the time why do gay kids go to byu well here's another story for you um i went to byu because i thought it was another you know thing i could put to the altar of God, like just, hey, I'm now going to go to your school and show you another thing that I can offer to you, God. I'm going to show you that if I study at your university, this is another thing I can put forward for you to please make me straight. So I transferred to BYU. Um, I I reach out to my childhood therapist again and ask him, why is this still not working? And I remember him saying that I would probably be married by 26 years old. And I thought that was like a funny age, but I was like, okay, so I still have some time. And he said, I suggest that you attend this camp for men who are like you and um, who are struggling with this problem. So I attended a camp, and I'm sure listeners have heard about this camp. Some listeners may have, some may have not. It's called Journey into Manhood. Um, it's, again, a simple Google search. We'll pull up results on this camp. Um, a lot has been exposed about this camp. Um, 
Before this camp, I was given a CD entitled Journey Out of Homosexuality. On this included tracks that included Overcoming Same-Sex Attraction, Why Change, Is It Really Possible, Causes of Same-Sex Attraction, and The Path Out. And again, I just want to remind everyone, like, I'm only 34. This is, like, still happening. This camp still happens. Um, yeah, so... Um, I think the question that gets asked a lot is what goes on at the camp. And I know, I understand, um, the curiosity and I guess I hesitate right now to answer a lot about it, mostly because, um, so much of it can be found online and, um, it brings up a lot for me, <laughs> uh, but I would just say, Again, the idea of the camp is to spend a week with like-minded individuals doing activities that, um, with coaches and not licensed therapists that are intensive and um, can really psychologically mess you up if you're vulnerable. <laughs> um, to try to help you overcome your same-sex attraction. And for me at the time, again, I had been so indoctrinated at this point that I was willing to do everything. And this camp, I had 40 people surrounding me doing the same thing. So I thought this was going to really work. And I left that camp on a high and felt great and that I could just persevere. And I, again, I don't really know what I, I, I didn't know what that meant for my future, but anyway, yeah. Um, we haven't talked a lot about journey into manhood. I've heard about that over the years. Um, so thanks for sharing a little bit about that. Um, you offer some grace there where I sense there's pain and instead of going through all the pain, you're inviting listeners to Google and they can read what they want to read. And that's a thoughtful way to approach that. I assume there's some people that have had a good experience there and some people have had a difficult experience there. Um, was it any different in the sense your conversion therapist pre-mission was trying to help you be straight? Was journey to manhood um, the intent there to help you? help you <laughs> cause you to become straight or to find community in people that weren't straight or yeah so in the handouts um it does talk about you know the goal eventually is to overcome um same-sex attraction and to eventually you know one of the one of the cds that they give you is to develop opposite sex attraction and they, you know, always gave the disclaimer that it varied amongst different individuals and what those, what those individuals um, would feel, whether those sexual attractions would intensify for women. And I'll be honest, I questioned this so much throughout my, my journey with my therapist through that journey into manhood weekend. I never felt like my, you know, attraction to women ever 
happened. <laughs> I never felt like I had a sexual awakening for women. And um, yeah. What do you think? Because that's one of the themes from a young man at 13 that you felt this wasn't going to work. You, you, I don't know if you use those words, but it seems like there's something inside of you that even though you wanted it to work and you were trusting adults in your life, and we trust adults when we're 13, I certainly did. Yeah. Is there a feeling, what was, going, what was in you that just kind of knew this wasn't going to change you? That's a really good question. I, I think I've just done a lot of reflection recently and learned to trust that inner voice, but I, I don't, I don't know if I could have named it earlier than this. I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how I knew. It's an interest. It's interesting. Cause it's, it's part of your story is this inner voice. I like that vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've grown to love Glennon Doyle and I've listened to a lot of queer voices now. Queer voices, I'm so grateful for your podcast and listening to queer voices who I never listened to or never was exposed to before. And I hear about this inner voice a lot more now, which I never heard about before. Um, so when people talk about their experiences growing up queer and, and growing up gay, I hear about the the different experiences they have and they mirror a lot of you know my experiences and i'm just so grateful that you know i i feel like i had these experiences through conversion therapy and with my therapist and questioning them and i may have continued to trust them and i'm a very trusting person and that's where i think this all kind of fell apart so many times because i just trusted and went along with whatever I was told. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm grateful that there are queer voices I can now listen to and hear and validate what I experienced so much in childhood and, and into my early adulthood. And I like where you use the vocabulary. I'll just put it back all, all on the altar again. I, I don't, it's, you use the word altar, maybe not all those words around it, but it just seems like this cycle where you're just, you're an obedient, good young man, man, post-mission, sort of doing everything that um, people around you, you trust are inviting you to do and putting it all back on the altar and saying with the narrative, this is possible, but it's up to me. And if I just, do this a little bit more, a little bit harder, or a little bit more faithfully. And I just hear in stories that how damaging that is just to, it all comes back to you. It's your responsibility to be straight. And if you just, and I don't know how much deal making you made with God or how much you thought this is, you know, because God doesn't love me or because I wasn't quite faithful enough in Ukraine or I could just, you know, so I just recognize how painful that is to feel that you're broken and you're responsible for getting you unbroken and you just have to put it all on the altar a little bit more and you'll be straight yeah i you know again i go back to that time i was you know 14 and just i you know i i knew the commandments and you know i knew what was right and what was wrong and 
you know, we, we know that homosexuality is quote unquote wrong. And I, I just wanted, I didn't want to be that way. And I gave my heart and soul and dedicated everything I could to not be that way. When at my core, I knew it wasn't going to change. And yeah. Keep sharing your story with us, Justin. Yeah. So I um, went to Journey into Manhood. We finished that. Um, uh, my 26th birthday, when I was supposed to marry a woman, right? That's what my therapist said. Came and went. Didn't marry a woman. Thank goodness, right? Um, by the time I get to around 27 or 28, I start figuring out that this is not really working. Um, again, I have have had to give myself a lot of grace as I've told this story to friends. They are a lot of the time shocked that it took this long. I don't know why it took this long, but it took this long. By the time I'm 27 or 28, um, I start becoming pretty depressed. Um, start having some suicidal ideation because I'm realizing that there is no path for me. I, I don't know how, if I'm, if I'm not going to become straight, what am I going to do? So I actually attended a ward fireside, um, at the age of, I think I was around 29 years old and there was a therapist at this fireside and he asked if uh, I asked this therapist if they met with people who struggled with same sex attraction. And he said, yes, come meet me. So I met with him and he said in our first session, he said, you know, that reparative therapy and conversion therapy is a debunked and harmful practice right and i remember that being the first time someone had said those words to me and i that um i wrote this down because i i remember as i was preparing to talk to you about this but um i just felt like I was betrayed. <laughs> this betrayal is the word that captures this because again, here I am now at 29 and I have another trusted person, another licensed therapist who's telling me that these trusted people, church leaders who I've now confessed to that I was gay, um, my parents, I love you, mom and dad, <laughs> that I, I, you know, had told and previous therapists and group therapy. And this is the first time someone's saying, this is quackery. <laughs> it's the first time. And this begins my healing. Like this is, this begins the healing and grieving process for me. Um, I, I, it's then that I start reaching out to still members of the church who identify as gay and 
I just start asking questions. What is it like being a gay member of the church? And they, they are thriving and it's, it's blowing my mind. I don't understand it. I'm not comprehending because what I had been told and what I had been taught and what I had understood was that there was, that wasn't true. There was no way that that could be true. And so I'm talking to these thriving gay people and I'm looking in the mirror and finally, for the first time ever asking the question, could this be me? Could I thrive (laughs) as a gay person? And I, I started asking myself that question and, you know, worked, worked with the worked with the therapist about this. Um, As far as this relates to my relationship with the church, I I think it, over time, my relationship with the church just became very complicated. And um, I, I was the ward clerk at a time when this was all happening to me. And like I spoke about earlier, just felt betrayal on so many levels from so many people. And I was at, I was a ward clerk and, you know, I was sitting in on disciplinary councils where I just felt such a disconnect with what was happening in those disciplinary councils with the bishop. And I just felt the best path forward was to be released because I just didn't feel like it was right that I was, you know, in those councils. And I, that's when I stepped away from the church. It was at this time that I was, you know, discovering that I probably did want to identify as gay and probably start dating men. Um, I remember I wrote this bishop a letter and said, I, I'm going to step away and I'm, I'm going to go be gay. (laughs) Um, so in very, um, loud fashion as us queer people like to do on my 30th birthday, um, I wrote a Facebook post and I wrote my coming out post. Um, I describe this as like a pressure cooker. I felt like I was ready to burst. I was finally ready to tell everyone I was gay. I just wanted everyone to know. Um, I couldn't keep it in anymore. And I was, I was so unsure. And um, I was so unsure how people were going to react to it. I think by the time you're 30, and people had known me for a while at this point, and I had already told some of my closest friends. I was just excited to get it out and express this. Um, I do want to just say that my relationship with God and the church remains very complicated. <laughs> um, the last time I attended the temple, I remember specifically, you know, 
just having all this turmoil and having all this sadness, knowing it was probably the last time I was attending the temple and asking God, can I please just date men? (laughs) And feeling like God was okay with it and feeling just such a sense of relief and happiness. And again, I think that comes with some sadness too and grief, knowing that those two truths you know, couldn't live at the same time that I could attend the temple and date men. Um, pretty soon after I came out, I, I ran into one of the apostles at the airport and I remember thinking, this is a sign from God. I, I probably need to go back to church. <laughs> this was right after I'd come out on Facebook and quit going to church. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, Justin, like, go talk to this apostle, just go talk to him. And so I did. I just went up and I just said, hey, I am a gay member of the church. Wow. I said, do you really think there's a place for me? Like in the kingdom of God and at church. And he said, yes. And I said, but do I have to be celibate for the rest of my life? And he said, that's what God has commanded of us. And again, my heart was crushed. And I told him, I don't think I can do that. (laughs) And he proceeded to tell me a story about a man whose sexuality changed. And it was in that moment, it again reconfirmed to me that it was going to be okay that I was going to go and live my gay life and probably take some, some time um, away from the church. So I know I've talked a lot again. Do you have any questions? I think our listeners are enjoying hearing you talk a lot. They can hear me anytime. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm struck with that therapist that told you that, you're not that it, this doesn't work, you know, the reparative therapy doesn't work. And all the investment you had made into that for this is like 16 years of 29 years. This is more than half of your life. Um, and then the complex sort of competing emotions that came into I wrote down healing and grieving. You're grieving in some level, you're grieving that I, yeah, I'm not. Oh, that feeling I had way back at 13 is true. I am gay. I'm going to continue to be gay. This long journey to be straight is sort of over. So I'm grieving the reality of that. But you also use the word healing in the same sentence. That it was also the path to healing. But it's so complex. I wish I had got clinical therapy training and I could speak from some sort of clinical perspective. But the betrayal, the trauma, the healing, the grieving, all these different things, um, emotions are just sort of there. And then you have this experience with an apostle. Um, and then I recognize that that would be possibly really difficult to hear in an answer to a sincere question, how do I be celibate my whole life? Instead of really dealing with the reality of that question, and I recognize we don't have a real good program in the church. We don't have 
like this is the way to be celibate. We don't have a support group. We don't sort of have materials to help local leaders. He pivoted a little bit to a story of somebody that, you know, changed their sexuality. And I just recognize if I'm trying to walk in your shoes a little bit, that is painful because you've been on that road for a long time and you've done everything. And that, I don't know if that was closure. I don't know. I admire you for walking up to that apostle. You showed some grace and not mentioning his name. Um, I think that's a sign of your character where there's a painful experience with someone that has a name, but you chose not to name him in the podcast. You know, I, my grieving experience, I, I know that when I, if anyone who knows me, as soon as I stepped away from the church, I did a lot of grieving and a lot of naming and a lot of lashing out. And I think recently, um, it's given me a lot of perspective and I've, you know, I, I just, I know that everyone is doing their best and I wish some people would do better. <laughs> I wish I would do better. And, you know, when I stepped away and said a lot of harmful things, I don't regret that because I was really hurting and some days I really hurt. and. Um, I'm still navigating what that looks like and how I, how I express that hurt and anger. But I think I'm in a space now where I just want to try to help those who, you know, may walk this path. I just want to prevent I just want to prevent what I had to go through because no one has to go through this. Uh, no one has to go through this. It's easier to just love and accept than cause this issue. Well, you brought some tears in my eyes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much pain in this space, and then that leads to anger and lashing out, and I, you're very self-aware, and that's very, I think that's, I think that's part of the healing process, but you've been able to sort of recognize at a point, and it kind of ebbs and flows for, for you to get healthy, the best healthy you can be, you've got to get through that phase, because then it gets you in a better spot to live your life and to help others. Um, but that space is not linear <laughs> and it comes differently for different people. I just learned to honor pain and the anger that is just kind of a secondary emotion that comes out of legitimate pain. And you probably get triggered at times where you, the, the whole story just gets re-triggering with a certain at any time. Um, and I recognize um, just your... I, I I love where you shared being in the temple, what you thought was the last time. And it's not like you not didn't want to be in the temple going forward. It's just there was no way to, it's the double bind that Bryce Cook down in Arizona with two gay sons taught me. My sons, you know, you know, they were in a double bind. They wanted to not be alone for the rest of their life. And they wanted to, 
they had a they wanted to be in the church. I don't know where they are all are now, but that's at one point some of the the double bind. So I recognize that, you know, just the reality of your situation that straight people your age don't face, and they're not in the double bind where they have to choose as they're sitting in the temple. That if I want to share my life with somebody, then my temple privileges end, and you're faced with that reality. And it's just the reality, unless you're going to be alone and celibate for the rest of your life. And some feel called to do that. I've always felt like if you get called. There's some examples, and I hate to put them up on pedestals because they may get uncalled at some point, but there's some that feel called, and it's not sort of by default. It's not sort of they're forced into the celibate path, but they feel called. I think that's better, and maybe there's purpose in that versus this, I'm just forced to be alone for the rest of my life, so the next life is better for me. Anyway, keep sharing your story. Yeah. Um, thank you for all of that. I. Um, yeah, I just pretty soon after this, I I found a therapist at um, Flourish Therapy, and I just wanted to name that as just a resource for some of our listeners here in Utah that um, has been really helpful for me. And I'm you know 34 now. I've had a couple of boyfriends. I hope one day to find a husband. Um, I've attended a couple of protests up here in Utah to make conversion therapy illegal here in Utah. And it is illegal here in Utah. Uh, I tried to help make it illegal in Arizona. However, it's still legal. Um, journey into manhood still happens. Um, I, I think in this space, I'm, I'm also really grateful at where I'm at in my current um, yeah, just where I'm at currently, I I really enjoy running. I enjoy, you know, as soon as I came out as as part of an outlet, you know, I started running and, you know, I've run a marathon, I've run an ultra marathon and um I've started to look to some different heroes, you know, I I love Glennon Doyle, I love Brené Brown, I love my, you know, current therapist. Um and I guess I just want to say I've never really blamed God for making me gay. Um, I understand that a lot of my pain comes from ignorance and I'm grateful for this podcast because, you know, it's, it's helping that ignorance go away. So, um, and you already spoiled my ending. So <laughs> I, I just, I hope this helps someone. Um, I am so happy at where I'm at now. Um, I know that my, the rest of my story is unwritten and I shared a lot of the really, really hard things, um, that I went through growing up, but I am so grateful. And I, I know I don't say it enough and I haven't said it enough recently. I am grateful for my parents. You won't find greater allies than my parents. And um, it's, I just love them so much and I, I want them to know that I want them to know that. And I'm grateful for my siblings. Um, they have been so patient through this too, <laughs> trying to navigate what this all looks like. And yeah, that's my one hour story. <laughs> well, you told it 
told that story pretty quickly and really thoroughly. And I love your relationship with your parents. When I became an ally, I met your parents and they're terrific, but they, like me, have had to just learn a lot. And I love the, your family story. It's to me, there's pain in there, but it's a beautiful family love story. We have all been willing to learn and grow. Um, some, you know, some that no longer are part of the LDS church are kind of stepped away. Like Justin are able to sort of reconstruct a relationship with God and some aren't. And so, you know, if you feel like your path is, you know, to leave the church and go on a different path, I'd always invite you to still try to, you know, take God with you if you can. Um, I don't know if you know common on that. Some people become agnostic and atheist, and some are able to sort of maintain this relationship with God. And every story is unique, but I've always invited people, even if they're not participating in the church, that the doctrine I believe is you can still have a personal relationship with God and that he will walk with you um, and will be there. It's not an earned relationship. It's just there because you're his son or daughter. And um, it's not transactional. It's just he's there and he'll walk with you and he'll continue to guide you. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that and just your own journey. Yeah, I think it's been um, really complicated. <laughs> I, I, to sum up my relationship with God, I have expressed this to my friends, and this may be really painful to hear, but it's my honest truth: is I really do feel like I stepped away from the church because I was, you know, not really invited anymore. <laughs> and I know that's hard because you know, visitors' welcome is yeah. plastered on every building. But I feel like I then had to figure out what that relationship was going to look like if I couldn't enter into the Mormon church building itself and worship with the saints every Sunday. And so it's looked very differently over the years, um, the past four years, right? And I think it will continue to develop. But I will say my relationship with God is stronger than ever. And I hope that gives people hope that it, it doesn't just go away. I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm the most positive I've ever been. I'm the most optimistic I've ever been. And I don't take all the credit for that. I know that there's someone looking out for me. What, um, I assume you have active Latter-day Saints in your friend circle or your family circle. And since you're not an active Latter-day Saint, and part of the purpose of this podcast is reduce divisiveness and sort of heal our divide, what are, what are nice things or things that are positive that active Latter-day Saints say to you? Um, are there any? I mean, it's sort of like, and what are some negative things that you hear sometimes that aren't particularly helpful? Do you, any thoughts come to mind on either of those? Yeah. I mean, I live in Lehigh. I live in Utah County in my friend circle. You know, I do have active Latter-day Saint, um, Saint friends and family. And I think, especially over the years, as I've um, distanced myself, the friends that I've been able to keep and hold close are the friends that listen and then honor my story and say we believe you and we can't believe it's that hard and we wish it wasn't that hard and 
because at the end of the day, I, I identify with them and active Latter-day Saints a lot of the time too. And so, yeah, that's, what's most helpful for me is just hearing that they believe me, they stand with me. Yeah. Painful things that you sometimes hear that you would wish people wouldn't say. Um, I think the thing that really is the hardest for me is we, we don't know all things. That's the most painful thing. And because my response to that is you have the privilege that my response to that person is you have the privilege to sit in that space, to not know all things. And I, as a gay Latter-day Saint, didn't have the privilege to not know all things. I, in this earth life, had to figure it out. And you get the privilege to not know all things. And you can live your straight life. You can live your straight life not knowing all things. And having unanswered questions. And having unanswered questions. And it doesn't affect your straight life. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. You're I'm saying, just, yes, you're, you're speaking. Yep. But you have to have your unanswered questions or um, life and death sort of questions. Yeah. So when I, when I get in that space with some of my friends and we talk about some of these hard issues and then you know, it comes up, well, I just don't know the answer to all things like, or, I mean, obviously I don't know everything, but you know, there must be a better plan or God has an answer. I just, that's hard because yeah, I had to do something with that. I had to do something with that unanswered question. That's a really good segment. It's a very thoughtful answer. Um, I realize that we do push things sometimes to the next life and say, well, you know, but I recognize to fully bear morning comfort, we need to sit with you in this life, in this moment, and sort of recognize the reality of your situation. And some of your friends have done that. And it sounds like they just trust you. They believe in you. They're willing to hear your story. And I invite people, you know, obviously to stay in the church, but I also invite people to self-determine their best path forward and just say, I'll walk with you. I'm not going to sort of write your story for you, but Justin, I'll walk with you as you write your story. And I think one of the things that I've, with Justin, I think he's writing his story at his very best personal best. Um, so instead of making this fork in the road where you're dating men and want to marry a husband out of fear or because other people are telling you to do that. I think you're writing your story at the right time. I think you're your best place professionally. You've got a great job in digital marketing. Um, emotionally, physically, you're in running marathons. And so I think there's a principle there, listeners, to, you know, when you come to these Fork in the Roads, if you're a queer Latter-day Saint, is you may not need to come to the Fork in the Road until your 20s or even 30s. Um, if especially if you're a teen, you can just work on developing your very best personal self and take the things Justin is sharing and then make that fork in the road, whatever path you're going to choose, um, out of a position of strength and hopefully receiving personal revelation for your best path forward. Um, and yeah, there's unanswered questions from the church on a macro level, but perhaps on a personal level, you can get personal revelation for you. And I'll just honor both. <laughs> 
Um, I'll honor unanswered questions and I'll honor your personal revelation. My personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to judge your personal revelation. If you're okay, if there's anything you want to clarify, I'd love to give you a chance, but I'd also love you to talk to your 13-year-old self. And this is you talking to some, you know, just talk to your 13-year-old self. Yeah. That's 20 plus years ago. You know, that's 21 years ago. Yeah, I would tell my 13-year-old self to, I, I would tell my 13-year-old self that he is perfect um, the way he is to develop the talents that he had. Um, yeah, I just really want to just hone in on the fact that he is worthy of love, that he is whole, that he isn't broken, that he is lovable, and that he is complete, that he is deserving of God's love, um, that he doesn't need permission from, from anyone to, to be who he was meant to be on this earth. He, he was made in God's image. Why, why change that? That's what I would tell him. I wrote down a lot of those words. That was not a scripted segment we had ahead of time, listeners. Perfect. Develop talents that come naturally to you. You're whole, you're not broken, you're lovable, you're complete. You're made. I can't read my own writing here. I think you said I'm, you made, you're made as intended by God. I believe all that. Yeah, I'm learning that day by day. I, I think that's what my next, that's what I've been working so hard to do recently is just love Justin. Who is Justin? Love Justin. I spent so much of my life trying to undo what Justin was supposed to be. And now I get to discover who I am. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful time right now. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm so excited to see who I'm supposed to be. You mentioned, and thanks for doing this, you had some suicidal ideation, you became depressed. What would you say to that, that Justin on those dark days right now? Yeah, suicidal ideation is very, it's a scary place to be. Um, I'm grateful to, you know, friends. I, <sighs> <sighs> You know, it's cliche, but it does get better. It it gets better. There is hope. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You have to ride those lows. And, um, you know, I do need to disclaim. When I say I'm the happiest I've ever been, I've had lows again. And I think what I'm understanding is just that this now is the human experience. I, yeah, that dark, dark time. I didn't see options and yeah, for anyone who's in that suicidal place, there are options, <laughs> there are options and yeah, there is hope. Tell us about this binder. 
Are you going to keep it for life? Are you going to? You know, I. There, I mean, there's a lot of emotion in this binder. I wish you could all see it. It's this it's got packets and buy, it's just full of stuff, and it's not new stuff. Some of it looks like it's been in you know, your possession for ten plus years. And when you read like the the titles of that CD or that sheet you went through, there's just so much narrative around being straight. Yeah, it it has a lot of meaning to me. It has a lot of emotional meaning. You know, it's been in my basement for the past five years or whatever. And um, yeah, I'm going to burn it. <laughs> I, this podcast, um, you actually asked me, invi- I hope this is okay to say, but you invited me to come last year and I wasn't in a good headspace last year. I wasn't ready to talk and tell my story, but um, a year has gone by. I think there's times and seasons and I've held on to this uh, binder because it shows so much of, you know, the work I've done. And I wanted to be able to at least be able to tell people that this is real. This happened. I guess I wanted some witnesses <laughs> to see it. And now that I've been able to share it, share it with you, Papa Osler, share it with some of your listeners. I think it's time to burn it, let it go, let this burden go. Will you burn your journals too, or will you keep those? Oh, I think I'm going to burn the journals too. The journals, you know, what's funny is they're all folded up because I remembered I'd always journal in my therapy session and then I'd put them in my back pocket so no one could see them. So they're all, they all have all these crease marks (laughs) and it just talks about all my anxieties and I'm not good enough today because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, a lot of this reflection has been, what if I was good enough all along? Like and my therapist and all back then just planted, you're not good enough because X, Y, and Z. And I don't know if this journaling was ever really good for me. I don't know. I wish you could all just see what I'm seeing here because it just, for me, the visual imagery of all these loose pages, all these binders, these CDs, these pamphlets, and just, you know, this 15-year-plus journey to be straight um, and the trauma and the betrayal and the reality that that never happened and the conclusions you've come to. um, I just look at this binder and what it represents and the words you just said to your 13-year-old self are just like complete 180. I'm perfect. I'm build your talents that are already within you. Don't like take on talents to fit a narrative. Be you, you're whole, you're not broken, you're lovable, you're complete. Um, I believe that so strongly for all of our listeners. I think we all need to look in the mirror and think what we're created as, as intended and that no one's broken. It doesn't take choice or agency off the table just puts everybody on the same moral footing straight gay trans everybody on the human family um i i don't have words to express my respect for you and love for you justin you know i've we've met in our home you told me your story i've you've come to one of my events and we've just been on social media but I don't have, and this is me talking to you, but also others that have been through this journey of conversion therapy and are alive to tell the story. 
I just, I'm sorry um, for what you've had to go through. God didn't want you to go through this. You're created as intended. And our world's a better place for you, your authentic self. And we're making progress, but you've paid a steep price for where we are now. And I love that you marched in conversion therapy and we banned that in Utah. And I hope one day that's banned in Arizona and banned worldwide. And 13-year-old boys and girls don't need to go through what you went through. We talk about the wounded healer a lot on this podcast. You know, the idea that um, it's by Henry Norum, the Catholic priest, he's gay. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. So you have given a gift of helping people out of deserts. People, you know, on this conversion therapy, people have been part of conversion therapy. But you've also, just like in your notes, I hope stories like mine change hearts and trajectories. That may be one of your greatest legacies of your whole life. And I think you'll continue to be involved with changing conversion therapy and just helping in the space. You have a gift of communication. You have grace and kindness. People are drawn to your story. And I know there's pain there, and it would be logical to be a bomb thrower. And I have permission to throw bombs every now and then because mm-hmm. it just is the reality of what it's like to be on your road. But I think one of, you know, if you're, 85 one day, I think one of the things you'll be able to look back and see the fulfillment of this hope. I hope stories like mine change hearts and trajectories. And I think you've done that already, but this podcast will do it. And I think your life story will do that. And my hope is that continues to heal you um, and continues to give you purpose in your life. And I hope you find your husband. I hope so too. Um, and that you're, it, it, you know, that seems to be your path. So I, I, listeners, when someone says that's their path, I just give them my support as they self-determine their path. And I hope you find your husband. I hope he sees all the good and talent within you. And you see that and you're able to build your life together. Thank you. Um, any other thoughts that come to your mind or anything that I've said you kind of want to go back to that didn't quite seem right to you? Um, I don't think so. I think, no, I don't think so. I think this has all been really just, again, I just want to reiterate healing. It's brought a lot of closure. I am really just grateful that we were able to talk through this. I understand. I'll yeah, reiterate that this is, yeah, I, I think like everyone's story, this is my story and it's authentic. It's real. And I just hope children who are queer, who may hear this, know that they're okay. I hope they can just, they may listen to this in a basement one day, because I was one of those. And I just, I wish I could have heard someone like me. I mean, earlier, I just hope they know that they're okay even if other people don't tell them that yet, they are okay. 
So that's our joint prayer, especially for you young people that are listening. Maybe you haven't told anybody and you've got your earbuds and mm-hmm. it's two in the morning and you don't want anybody to know what you're listening to. But that's probably our hope is that what Justin has shared gives you hope. And the words that Justin used to describe to his 13-year-old self is, I believe how God would talk to you right now. Um, I think he talked to all of his children just the way that you talk to your 13-year-old self. And you have a great life ahead of you. Um, You're going to be okay. And you're going to figure this out. Um, So now I'm going to say your last name right. Justin Trosdahl. You got it. Trosdahl. Who served in Kiev. Yep. Um, thanks for your courage to be on the podcast. You've helped a lot of people today. So this is Justin and Richard signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>